I'm tense and nervous and I can't relax Can't sleep cause my bed's on fire Don't touch me, I'm a real live wire Connection Podcast Network listeners, welcome back inside the Wrestling Warzone, a Monday Night Wars podcast retrospective series. I am JT. Joining me as ever is my partner Chad. How are you? Doing good. How are you doing? Cold, man. Good cold fast. Like just a week uh, and a half ago, we, we played our flag football game and it was yeah. in the 70s. It was like a summer day. And tonight, I didn't go outside like all day because we're from home. And my daughter had basketball practice indoor, but still we had to go out and I hadn't been out all day. So I just had shorts on. So I just grabbed my hoodie and headed outside. And I realized as we got in the car and started to drive away, it was only 35 out. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I'm freezing. I have been fast. Yeah, we're in the low 40s. It's pretty cold for us too. So. It, it mainly happened for us like Saturday to Sunday. Like Saturday, right. it was uh, overcast. And uh, the temperature dropped progressively. Like, we went to a football game Friday. It wasn't, like, you know, warm, but it was, like, upper 50s at night. It was still really moderate. And then, yeah, progressively Saturday, it got colder. It's just stayed that way. So, we'll see. I don't know if we'll get a kick back or not or if officially fall is here for a little bit. And then uh, on to winter. I'd, I'd like to get snow. I mean... Carson's uh, five and a half, and he's never been able to walk in snow. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah, but curious what we get. Last winter, we actually didn't we didn't get a ton. Um, so I don't know. I haven't looked at any of the predictions yet for this winter to see how it's supposed to be. There, there was supposed to be some this week, but I think it's more north. They were just going to get rain here. So we'll see. I can I'm tell you where it up. was cold. Yeah, good. Uh, right now, Thanksgiving is saying 57 here, so that'd be nice. Good showers. Yeah, that's pretty but good. That'd be good. I'd take it. I'll tell you where it was cold. I'll try this again. Uh, was <laughs> New York City <laughs> on yeah. November 17th, 1996. Because tonight we're talking Survivor Series 1996. Pretty exciting. We've been building toward this for a while. It's always fun to have a big pay-per-view night. And we haven't had a big WDF one in a while. Um, obviously, you know, it's SummerSlam, but even that, I feel like we were like into the build, but not a ton. I feel like King of the Ring was the last one that we were like super kind of locked in for. Yeah, I, I, I think I'd even, I'd, uh, yeah, I'd probably go King of the Ring. Yeah, I think King of the Ring is probably the last one. SummerSlam's build was weird because the Vader Sean stuff was kind of all over the place and. The uh, Mankind Taker, by that point, they'd already interacted a lot, so they kind of right. pulled it off. This one, uh, I mean, we talked about it. The build, the build to me on this one's been weird because the TV itself has been a lot going on, but then at some point, it's been a kind of roundabout way to the actual matches themselves, like the... Sid versus Sean stuff. It's been like, are they buddies? Can they coexist? And they kind of inadvertently bumped into each other and had those pull aparts. And then the Brett versus Austin stuff we'll get into. But I mean, like Austin invading Pillman's 
house had nothing to do with the match versus Brett, but overall was just mainly building Austin as a character. It's been more about building Austin up as a bona fide main event player. Uh, kind of, and then within an outer shell of that, the match itself versus him and Brett. Well, I can tell you, it was actually a little bit balmy that day in NYC. The high was 60, uh, right around like 56, and right around showtime would have been probably more like 50. So that's not too bad for mid-November in, in uh, New York City. The low was 28 in the morning, but um, so decent. I can tell you the dew point if you want. <laughs> I'm good. Wind speed, visibility, you're good there. Yeah, the site is crazy. It's got everything. Yeah. Um, it's pretty good. So anyway, a decent night, we'll call it, in, in uh, Scrub. I, I agree with you on everything, on all those pay-per-views and the, the build. And this is really one. Uh, we've actually been pretty critical of the build to this show, I guess. But the match is a big, and we know just historically it's a big one. So this might be one for us where the, the show greatly outperforms the build-up. Because we've not been super hot into Sean and Sid, which is pretty lukewarm. Obviously, Brett and Austin's been awesome. Uh, but like you said, a lot of it was related to Pillman. And uh, not as much right directly with Brett Austin. So it's been a lot of just kind of them not interacting directly a ton. And Taker Mankind, like I said, we've been kind of, you know, a little confused. Like, what's going on? Why is that still continuing? And then we have some yeah. spacious, specious stuff mentioned. Like, the debut of Rocky Maivia um, and a couple other, you know, little things. Furnace and Lafon have been mentioned. So, like, there's stuff, but build-wise, not a ton. So we'll see how they overcome that. I, I think that's the main thing is they've also between Furnace LaFon, Rocky Monvia, this mystery partner, and Flash Font, they've already like said there's gonna be a lot of debuts on the yep. show. So it definitely feels like a kind of transitional moment for the promotion as a whole. Yep. And the mystery man's. I mean it's just a lot of like unknown yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. They've had the mystery man. So yep, we'll so. see. See how that all unfolds. Uh, all right, let's dive in then. We have attendance of 18,647 in Madison Square Garden on this evening. It's the first pay-per-view since, what, WrestleMania 10, I believe, at MSG. Yeah. So uh, we have Vince McMahon, Jerry the King Lawler, and Jim Ross on commentary. So our usual team. And uh, we'll For part actually, of it. <laughs> yeah, part of it. Yeah. So yeah. There is some oscillating in there as well. We'll talk about uh, Sonny pops in for a minute, too. So we, got, we definitely got some uh, mix and match. There was a dark match. Uh, it wasn't a dark match, actually. It was on the free-for-all. Uh, it, was a, it was actually a Survivor Series match, 4-4. Four four. Aldo Montoya was still hanging around. Mm-hmm. Bart Gunn, Bob Holly, and Jesse James uh, defeat Billy Gunn, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, Salvatore, Sincere, and the Sultan in an elimination match. So uh, does this light your uh, tush on fire? Do you wish this was one you could have you checked out? I, I think we could safely say that... Uh... We didn't miss too much. Meltzer gave it a star and a quarter, if mm. you're interested. So, there you go. I do have this on my VHS copy that I recorded during the live airing. So, if we ever <laughs> want to go back and check it out, I could pull it up. Um, but I was actually, I remember being I remember being surprised at the time that Bart's team won. You would think Billy was being more positioned for the push. But um, Bart actually pins Billy to end the match. So, I found that pretty surprising at the time. I know you've been big into Bart all year here in 96, so uh, you would have been excited. But <laughs> Yeah, I pinned him in less than a minute, I guess. So pretty yeah. quick encounter there. 
All right, so then let's dive into the show itself. This has, of course, been a big weekend, not just a show hype-wise. We have uh, clips of the weekend as a whole. We get the Hall of Fame, some highlights there, and then we get all the hype for the big matches. I actually thought the energy in this opening video was pretty low. Um, yeah. You would yeah. have expected for this show, like, something super intense and, like, hot and upbeat. And this is just, like, more about the weekend. Um than like survivor series i thought that was a little weird start yeah i didn't remember this one i i think this is one of the lamer ones we've seen mm-hmm. um which i was surprised by i, I kind of just maybe expected it to be i guess medium but I, I would even put it lower than that it was it was an odd take where they basically say like it was a weekend of memories for the wwf in new york city it it almost felt like a promotional video for the city itself um it was one of those things like remember they did it at SummerSlam where Mm -hmm. the godwins were on the carriage or whatever right right yeah yeah. city of cleveland but they did it here in the the uh pregame right this felt like more like a mid-show yeah like a mid-show thing or raw the next night yeah it didn't feel to me like I guess they really just were leaning into New York City that they owned the weekend, but this didn't get me excited at all for like the big matches. Like no, this this definitely feels like an opportunity missed where you could have brought in like uh, I don't know, classy Freddie Blassie or whoever take gorilla. your pick and talk. Have a gorilla do it. Yeah, talk, you, you could talk about like in this arena, there's been a lot of legends made and show like Brett winning the title at WrestleMania yeah. 10 and whatnot. <laughs> And then say, like, now a new crop of legends, you know, wants to rise up and show all the guys debuting in Austin and whatnot and Sid. So, opportunity lost for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. <clears throat> I feel like a miss. Um, even if they would have just re-ran the Brett Austin black and white ones, would have been fine, too. Like, mm-hmm. those are great. So, I'd rather just have those <laughs> if you're going to do it. Like, you know, those, those are so good. So, yeah. All right, we get a very brief intro from uh, McMahon, Jr., and The King. And we head into our opening match, which is a Survivor Series match. It is Doug Furness and Phil LaFon teaming with the Godwins against the British Bulldog, Owen Hart, and the Rockers. It is our first taste of Furness and LaFon. They had been in ECW uh, for a little bit before this. Had those couple of matches with Van Damme and Sabu that were pretty good. Um, and then you could tell they were kind of just waiting for their debut here, like easing in, because even in that ECW run, like Joey Styles talks about them being signed and even says like, Oh, maybe like whoever beats them could get into survivors. You know, like, like it actually becomes mm-hmm. a bit of a talking point and commentary for ECW. So it wasn't a surprise that they were heading there. The weird thing for us is they didn't really mention them on commentary on raw until like the week before, which was odd. Yeah. No, not much uh, promotion for them coming in. And they were mainly in all Japan before. before that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All Japan mainstays. I mean, they're they're a really good tag team historically. It's a, it's a running joke mm-hmm. that I have with the cowboy when he first came on board and called <laughs> them nobodies. Uh, yeah, yeah. At uh, Final Four, his review in 2014, but uh, it, it the match they have versus Kenta Kobashi and Kikuchi on 5-25-1992, it's, it's up there as one of the best matches, honestly, of all time. It, it, it's worked in a very, like, southern tag formula, uh, but with hard-hitting action, and it's, it's an incredible match for sure. So, I mean, they'd been in classic matches and had kind of earned their keep in all Japan throughout the 90s together. 
So do you think it's weird that WWF signed them? <laughs> like of all, I mean, I guess WCW's got the New Japan deal. Yeah, but... WCW is still very ingrained with New Japan right now. So, and and actually Gaia. So <laughs> I guess they're not <laughs> seen, yeah. paying much attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just an odd fit. Like, it doesn't seem like the tie. Unless I mean, I get JR maybe push for it possibly, but. Um, all right, so I thought I thought this was a good choice to open up here. I mean, some quality workers. Obviously, you get our tag team champions, so they get some names. It's not just your standard opener. Bulldog and Owen come out. The Rockers behind them. Uh, really, not much of a reaction from the MSG crowd at all for Furnace and Lafon. No. Ross is going in big on commentary. Vince, of course, is more pumped for the Hillbillies <laughs> as they come out. Uh, no critters tonight, though. They're solo. <laughs> JR says he thought the Karate Fighters blimp was Jim Cornette. Uh, I, I think we see here the transition for JR. He's he's still like yeah. intensely focused with his delivery and speaking um, like he's a bit of a know-it-all, but he's definitely less. The anger and pure heel approach is pretty much gone for him now. He's he's not really doing that at all at this point. So um, we do get some stalling into LaFon and Janetti starting us off. LaFon shows off early, works to Marty, keeping him off balance. Jr. calls Marty a geek and says he's dumb with his dancing. Cassidy comes in. He tries to wrestle, but LaFon uh, really doesn't go great for him. Phineas comes in next. We get some uh, Bill Clinton jokes as usual. Uh, Phineas is controlling Cassidy, but they go back and forth and leaf taunting him between Pig tossing him around. Slow start overall to the match. Janetti trips Phineas outside. Owen tags in gets things flowing with a quicker pace. We get the champs and rockers quick tagging and baiting to keep Phineas worked over in the corner. Ross is all over Phineas here, calling him stupid for trying to superplex. Janetti looks to have messed up his knee as he comes off the top. He gets uh, whipped to the corner and just collapses before he even uh, hits the corner. And uh, he's completely messed up. You could tell he's limping. Uh, he's unable to put weight on it. Uh, Henry works him over and then quickly ends his night with a slop drop. So Janetti's gone. You see him limp off in the back. Owen comes right in. He takes out Hank with a leg lariat, and he's eliminated, so that draws us back to three-on-three. Three. Phineas has a fit. He cleans house as Marty gets checked at ringside. Bulldog catches Phineas in the corner, hits a power slam, and he's gone. That leaves Furnace and LaFon alone against Cassidy, Bulldog, and Owen. Pretty big spot and challenge for their debut. Furnace and Bulldog reset. Bulldog takes over after a missed dropkick. Leaf, Owen, and Bulldog tag in and out. They work over Furnace with some snap offense and strikes. Furnace breaks out with a nice scoop spine buster on Leaf, but he can't escape the tag. Owen levels Furnace with a dropkick. They continue to batter him in the corner. Just nothing too crazy. Just tags and strikes and a nice Bulldog suplex. Furnace finally escapes and tags LaFon, who crushes Leaf with an inverted superplex to eliminate him quickly. Pretty good choice here, of course, for a final four. We set up our next big title feud, logically and showcase first and LaFon against two quality workers. LaFon works through some offense on Bulldog, but he cuts LaFon down and tags Owen, who gets a belly-to-belly for two. Hits an Enziguri for another near fall. The crowd continues to be pretty quiet here, even when Bulldog gets a great low-blow kick on LaFon. LaFon gets double-teamed a bit and ends up slipping out of a power slam, gets a sunset flip, and eliminates the Bulldog. But on his way out, Bulldog chop blocks LaFon. Owen starts to work the knee, giving us another heat segment. Owen then twists into the sharpshooter, but Furnace makes a save. LaFon then catches Owen with a reverse Enziguri, tags Furnace, who most through him with a belly-to-belly, and finishes with a really uh, good-looking release German. I'll say this, Chad. I think this match is overrated historically. Um, I think it was just okay. It was kind of slow and awkward. It was too many heat segments. The crowd was not into it. I thought Furnace and LaFon looked good, but they sold too much down the stretch. I think that a sa- should have sandwiched those last two eliminations tighter together instead of the Owen getting another heat segment in between. The Rockers are completely washed, and the Godwins are kind of whatever. Um, the overall future of the division feels better because Furnace and LaFon are so good. 
but um, the depth just still isn't there. Like these other two teams are clearly being carried. So I went two and three quarters, and I think mm. instead of a survivor match, I would have just done Furnace and Lafon versus Bulldog and Owen. Even if you say it's non-title because they're new and give them a non-title win or something, like I think that would have been a hotter way to do this versus what they did because the Rockers and Godwins are just so played out that they and they just got too much showtime in this match. Like they drag things down. Cassidy's the best of the four, but even he wasn't doing a ton. Marty's knee injury definitely like screwed up the beginning. So uh, I think historically this is always looked at as like, oh, a real good opener and Furnace and Lafon show up. But I think it's one of those things that's like better in clip form than the actual match. Okay. I, I, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good match. I went three, so I'm not far off from you. I, I guess I didn't necessarily know its reputation was that high. I don't but, think uh, it's like sterling, but I would have coming in. I would have thought maybe like three and a half. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, and I was just, I was just kind of disappointed by the pace. I thought one thing that I liked is they got the crummy teams out of the way first. So yeah, I, I liked the enough. way they. Yeah. Um, I, I actually thought the opening mat wrestling between LaFon and the Rockers was really good. This crowd's it's an interesting crowd. I mean, we'll get to it because the crowd has some amazing mm-hmm. reactions later, but they're also pretty dead for some stuff coming up. So it's, it's a little bit of a hot and cold crowd, I think overall. And this was the start of it. So like when LaFon and, Fur- and Furnace first come out, yeah, they get hardly any reaction and then the opening mat work i enjoyed but didn't get much of a reaction either uh, i did like phineas getting worked over marty screwing up his leg that was unfortunate because mm-hmm. you could tell they they definitely i don't know when he was supposed to be eliminated or what was supposed to go on but they had to call an audible henry gives him the slop drop very quickly and that's that uh, and then he's immediately 10 10 seconds later so mm-hmm. That that was interesting. Uh, it was weird too that he didn't have knee pads on. I was trying to think if he usually wears them during this time period or not, but I noticed he didn't have them on, and then he hurt his knee. <laughs> so, like I don't know if that would have made a difference or not. Yeah, Meltzer seems to think it was a foot thing, but oh, he okay. said it could have been a broken foot, but it wasn't confirmed. So mm-hmm. who knows? But it it certainly screwed it up, and he was limping hard going to the back. Uh, once once it gets down to the. Uh, two main tag teams i i like the match i do think it was a long heat segment on the fun uh before that when furnace like missed his drop kick and wiped out that looked really good uh the backward suplex from the ropes got a great uh what a maneuver that pins leaf like mm-hmm. bitch you know had no idea what to call that <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely. um yeah so uh lafon getting the fluke pin on bulldog it's one of those interesting things where and this is this is one of those things that I still haven't been able to kind of turn my brain off with Survivor Series matches in general. But it's it's tough for me because in these matches, the way they're constructed, you're going to have pinfalls that are never pinfalls in any other match. Right. So it, it could be a, it could be a little tough to adjust. I do like from one hand the survivor series concept because of the uniqueness but like the fluke pin on bulldog that would never happen in just like a random raw tag so it's like okay it it seems a little weird 
Uh, once Furnace got the hot tag, he he, he did a really good kind of House of Fire segment. Uh, finally does hit the drop kick, which I like that he went back to that move, executed it really well. And then the German suplex uh, looked very nasty and won it for his team. So I, I agree with you. I mean, I think like, you know, we were in such the doldrums of the division a few months ago. Uh, now we're kind of feels like we're coming out of it. We got two teams that at least can provide good matches. We'll, we'll have to see if they kind of overreach and reach like that up next level. Like, do these two teams together have a very good match or even a borderline great match? I don't. I don't know. My memory is kind of that they cap out in that good to very good, but we'll mm-hmm. see if that holds true. Uh, but overall, I mean, this was a fine. I mean, this was a good opener. But yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't something I would say like right. was an amazing start. It, it's it's kind of tough to compare these op- like WWF pay per views this year have had some kind of interesting openers. The choices overall, um, they've had some good ones. The Marrow versus Austin King of the Ring match is a good good match, better than this one. Um, but but when you're comparing it to something like Psychosis versus Dean or right. Dean versus Ray, it sort of pales in comparison. Yeah, I mean, I think the process was right here. I think this was the choice to open with. Um, so kudos there. I just think it it fell a little bit short <clears throat> of what the target was. And it's tough to say because, you know, you look at this and say, oh, well, Furnace and the Fauna more like kind of grinded out or, you know, not really super exciting. But I just watched ECW matches and I know it's Sabu and RVD, but like they're in there throwing bombs and flying around. You know what I mean? Like they're doing it. They can do it. Right. So like I just and Owen can do it. So I just expected a little bit more once I got down to the final four. I think that's where I got disappointed. Um, Mm -hmm. It felt like. It felt like that stretch of Bulldog and Owen versus Furnace on the Fawn felt like the beginning of a match that would have got hot later instead of the ending of a hot match. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, they kind of, yeah. like, almost just had the beginning of a match and then it ended versus, like, giving us the end of a match. Okay. So, yeah, we'll I see. Got you. We'll see where things go. But the tag division is definitely looking better. I mean, they go where we were at SummerSlam, right? Uh, and just how shitty that was. And then you watch <laughs> yeah. Candido in ECW months later and he's like, on fire and it's like what the hell was this <laughs> the body right. is. um but anyway i digress let's go backstage kevin kelly's in the boiler room he's talking to mankind and paul bearer bearer's fretting about his cage and having to deal with the undertaker if taker wins tonight so sets up our next match and that is another installment in the undertaker mankind feud this is what number on pay-per-view we had king of the ring we had yep. summer slam we had yep. buried alive and yep. then this right so number four yeah, fourth in and, five uh, months. And Mankind's leading, what, two to one? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, did Taker win it Buried Alive? I always get that screwed up. No, Mankind or Taker, Taker won Buried Alive. Buried Alive. Uh, so it's two one Mankind, up? right? Well, King of the Ring is it a disqualification or something like that. I can't. No, Mankind beat him, I think, finish. right? I thought Mankind beat him with the. Because Taker hits him with. I mean. Barra hits him with the urn by accident, and then he pins him. Oh, yeah. Or no, right? Yeah, he Full beats submission. him with the claw or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And then SummerSlam, Mankind won because Barra yeah, yeah. turned. So, yeah, yeah he's actually yeah. leading the series 2-1, which is... It's funny because you and I earlier in the build were like, 
oh, we're kind of done with this feud, but Taker is behind <laughs> the feud. So I guess we really aren't done with it. But Well, I think um, even buried alive, it's a misnomer that Taker wins because right. at the end of the show, he's buried alive. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you could argue Mankind's indirectly 3-0. Yeah, we talked about that on that show. It's kind of weird, psychologically. All right. Man kind of put Barrel Wobble out. Uh, The shark cage is getting set up in the ring. JR reminds us this is the anniversary of Undertaker's debut. And Vince says we may see a new aggressive Undertaker. Of course, we haven't seen him in person since he was buried alive. Uh, He'll make his return. Barrett dodges the cage. Ross wonders if he can even fit in it. And Vince calls it a whale cage. We get a great Undertaker entrance. The crowd finally wakes up. And he has changed his look now. He's wearing kind of all black leather. He's got a black teardrop uh, fake tattoo on his eye, under his eye. Uh, I, I don't know if this is what they were going to do originally after um, SummerSlam when he came back and it just looked the same. I think everyone thought maybe he'd come back with a new look then. So I don't know. They just delayed it for whatever reason. But this is the look now he will carry for quite a while, really, until, what, 99 almost? Yeah, I mean, like, when does, I mean, because even with the ministry, it's kind of, I guess, a more of a, a, a spiritual edge on this uh, persona, but it, it's pretty close. Yeah, the ministry, he eventually goes to, like, the tights with the singlet at the top. Um, he He has this leather, though, for... I think all the way through, like, the Austin feud and all that in 98. I think it's mm-hmm. when he shows up on the stage with, with the official ministry stars when he switches it up. So he's, okay. he's got this probably – he may tweak it. I mean, I don't think he's in this exact outfit, but it's pretty much this look for the next, like, two-plus years. So. Gotcha. Uh, all right. Paul Bearer goes up in the cage and because, of course, he wants to get away from Taker. Mankind attacks at the bell. He's hammering away. They spill outside. Taker takes right back over and works the arm. It's a map-based offense, including a cross-arm breaker, so kind of mixing up his offense a little bit. Taker starts to beat on the hand now as well. Vince calls back to mind games when Sean attacked Mankind's hand. Taker smashes it into the steps. He's wrenching at it. They spill into the crowd. Taker slugs away and backdrops Mankind into ringside area. Mankind turns the tie with a tumble salt into Taker on the floor. He claws away back in the ring, but he's a stiff back elbow. JR says this rivalry may not end until one of them is fully incapacitated. Taker continues to bite and smash the hand. JR says Barra sounds like a stuck pig under a gate. Mankind turns the tide with a stuffed uh, stuff pile driver, but Taker comes back again with a big boot. Mankind flips out of a tombstone and hooks the mandible claw, but Taker breaks it easy and throws him outside. Taker kicks him into the railing, smashes him into the steps, goes back inside, hits the axe handle off the top rope. Mankind lands a punch at a swinging neckbreaker. Taker slugs back out of the corner. Mankind goes up top and leaps right into a goozle, but Mankind counters that with the mandible claw. He holds onto it, but Taker starts to wilt until he fights back up and breaks it with a choke slam. Taker charges, but Mankind ducks, and Taker flies out to the floor. However, this time, Taker ducks the somersault. Mankind flops hard to the map. Back inside, Taker keeps punishing the hand and quickly breaks the sleeper with a back suplex. Jared knows that Taker's wrestling more tonight. Mankind pulls out his little shiv, clocks Taker in the head with it multiple times, grinds it into his skull. Taker shrugs it off and then buries Mankind with a tombstone to pick up the win. Arguably the cleanest win of this feud, <laughs> for sure. Uh, here, Taker just beats him straight at the tombstone. Bearer comes down to the cage. My executioner shows up. He attacks Taker, and Paul Bearer escapes, so we don't get the payoff to that. Taker does take out executioner, who ambles off with Mankind and Bearer as well. Uh, it does end up being pretty interesting. 
it was solid, but definitely a step behind the usual war we get with them. In some ways, it, it was kind of a squash. Uh, Taker quickly countered every Mankind attack or control segment. The positive was it was pretty unique. There was no heat segment, just, just a fight between two guys. Uh, but it also feels like a bit of a feud ender. So we'll see where it goes. I mean, he beats him clean with a tombstone. He didn't have to empty the war chest to end it. The handwork was on point, just like with Sean. It was, it was similar. Uh, explains why Mankind was a little bit weaker with the claw. And, of course, we don't get the Paul Bearer payoff. So it's a bit of a divergent feel because the tombstone feels like a clean ending. But Bearer not getting his comeuppance makes it feel like we're going to get more. So is it Executioner coming uh, or more Mankind? We'll see. So I went three and a quarter. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was a step behind their other stuff, but I don't think it was like super disappointing. I know we were a little shaky on the build, but I thought they overdelivered a bit. Okay, I, I was disappointed. I think overall in the match, just because I think I, I think it's just a timing issue. I went two and three quarters. Mm. Um, I, I I think I, I, I tried to tried to pinpoint where I'd like this match to have been placed. Certainly wasn't now after they'd been buried alive and done the boiler room. I think it had to be some point before that they could have worked this match. I, I mean, I don't. I, I think you could have probably done this match the way it was before the bear turned. I, I just thought that was such a lame like stipulation and didn't even pay off. And the mechanics of this match were fine, uh, where Undertaker in one week has discovered both MMA and BDSM because he's in all leather and now all of a sudden he's working holds and doing like submissions. So that that, that was an interesting concept. Uh, the entrance is really cool where he comes down looking like the bat, but I, I don't know. Like overall, it's it's just a weird dynamic and a dichotomy to go from the way they were the buried alive mm-hmm. match is kind of this all out brawl to this more kind of psychological squash. What you said, like mankind, I think looks pretty lame here, and he's somebody that's been built up really impressively since his debut, and this feels like a strange kind of cooling off where. Even if you want to say like that, you you could understand the psychology where Taker throughout this match is working on the fingers and whatnot. And there is a moment where he gets the claw locked on and it's not as effective as it has been. It's been like, you know, the kill shot in their matches before, but it wasn't put over enough commentary that it wasn't the case here. And it was because of Taker's work on the hand or whatnot it, it just wasn't conveyed very well and the crowd wasn't that into it and then when taker gets the tombstone and pins him it feels very anticlimactic. and then you get the afterwards attack and you go to the executioner and i thought executioner and taker's little standoff was pretty uh, pretty clumsy together and feels kind of like a downgrade to me to go from the the mankind stuff to the executioner. I, I I still say like if executioner was ready to go, which I guess they maybe thought he didn't, but I almost think you could have just done Taker and executioner mm-hmm. here and put mankind in the cage or something like that. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, it's just overall, this is a match that like in a vacuum, if you watch none of the feud and just say, Hey, there's these two guys having a match i can i can see it being like okay it's a good match 
But with everything else and the feud overall being so personal uh, to get this kind of lazy, weird uh, regression of a match between these two, I I wanted to punish a little bit on my rating. So that's why I settled in at two and three quarters. It makes you wonder if they could have done a survivor's match with these guys. So maybe instead, um, maybe like Taker. If you do Mankind Executioner, like Goldust is there, right? He's been with Taker all mm-hmm. year. And I don't know, it's going to be someone else we could pull out. Of. I'd put Vader with him. I think he Yeah, there you go. Vader. Yeah, Vader. Part. You know, Vader, Mankind, Executioner, Goldust. Like, that's a group that's been together. And then, I don't know, you just put Taker with whoever the fuck. And, you know, you've done it before where he's been with Scrubs. Like, the year before, he was with Savio, Henry Godwin, and whoever. What if you take the Godwins out of that tag, eliminate that tag, just do Ferris on the Fawn versus Bullog and Owen, and then do Taker. Who else is in that opener you could pull in? I don't know. Taker, somebody in the Godwins against what we just laid out. Mankind, Executioner, Goldust, and Vader. Right? And you could do something like that. Maybe take Stalker yeah. out of that Mero match and put him with Taker. Like, that's a good fit. Taker, Stalker, and the Godwins. It's a weird thing where I can see, like, people would argue and say, well, that's actually a worse match. Maybe, but from an overall booking standpoint and just from a logical standpoint, I think that would be better. Well, then you save if you want to do Taker Mankind again in December, you do it again, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, they got to get to Taker versus Executioner at some point, it feels like. So I, I don't know why, unless they... At the time, they again, they only had the night after Buried Alive. So <clears throat> unless they were not as confident, which we talked about, like they could have just not been very confident that Austin versus Brett and Sid versus Shine would have been seen as, you know, two like big enough main events to sell this pay-per-view on its own. So they wanted to put Mankind versus Taker on there to add some, like, flavor. Which is crazy. I mean, Brett Austin alone should sell the show. I mean, but... It'd have been nice if... I I mean, if that's the reason for this, it'd have been nice if they had some faith in what they were going to do storytelling-wise. Right. Overall, it's just... This is just a very weird match. And, I mean, these two... uh, I mean, I know we get a, another kind of one-off or different type of singles match between these two in a few months. I seem to really like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's my memory of it. But I, I, I thought this was just, it, it's too much. Like, we're not doing these shows super quick, obviously, with our schedule. Right. But it, it feels like we've seen these two in some of the more unique gimmick matches that WWF has performed. So to see them go to this stipulation just felt all. I mean, you also have the guy who ends up being the mystery wrestler later. Like, he has some nice history with Undertaker. You could have put him in there, right? Like, oh. well, Taker debuted as a mystery guy, too. So, like, if you yeah. wanted to really fill a spot, you could just have him be in that match, you know, if you need somebody to make the four. I mean, they could look at the, some of the match on this card. They could easily cobble together some mishmash team with Taker against a team led by Paul Miller. I mean, it's possible if you just make the opener a tag match and really tell Owen, like, hey, we need you to really go. Right. <laughs> can, can you do it? And then 
overall, those two matches together could have been better than the two matches we got. Yeah, if you just make that a straight tag, there's no way it's worse, I don't think. So, at the very least, it's even. In this, you don't, like, have a disappointing Taker Mankind match, so. And you don't right. squash Mankind. I think even if the match is worse and the better to the build, you also don't squash Mankind. <laughs> we felt like like he probably just gets DQ'd. You could do that. Or maybe he brawls to the back with whoever, you know, something. So. And, I, and I think in a Survivor Series match, you could actually have more interesting booking decisions, too, right. to make Taker pinning. Like, you could do Taker pinning Mankind. But you could make it like he sacrificed himself and then, like, Executioner gets the win. Right. I mean, you could do a variety of different finishes that I think would make... Well, the opposite. Executioner ties up Taker and Mankind gets the win. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot, I think, more you could do than just this where, you know, like, Taker pins him and then Executioner rushes out. And it's like, well... I mean, I guess technically this was not a no-DQ match, even though they brawled outside all the time. So, like, what was Executioner doing in the back, just hanging out? Like, where, you know, why does he decide to chug out right at the very end when Paul Bear is about to get attacked? It's it's weird. Well, there's that other Survivor match, too, that really doesn't make sense. So you could chop that up, and we'll get to it more later. But, like, you could, you could have Flash Funk have a singles match for his debut, and then just do Vader... Mankind, Diesel, and Razor. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to really put them there, um, and then take Savio and just do because he's Taker's boy. That's been established, right? So, I know he's kind of been feuding with Razor and Diesel. So you just do Taker, Savio, and the Godwins against Vader, Mankind, Razor, and Diesel. Like, I think that's the way to go. And then Flash Funk can have a put him wherever and have Farouk just do a promo in his new gimmick. You know, something like that. You could do Flash Funk versus pull a heel out of that match or whatever. Right. Yeah. But him against Cassidy, you know what I mean? Or something. If you want to have him fight someone that can work a little bit or even South and Sierra or whatever. Sure. All right. Uh, that's enough fantasy booking, I guess, for this. <laughs> uh, we go backstage, Furnace and Lafonda with some uh, tech guys chatting on AOL. Mm-hmm. Sunny comes out. She's prancing for the fans. She hops in the announce booth. Uh, she annoys Jim Ross, who just hates her. Uh, she he, she flirts with Vince. He's dancing to her new music, which Sunny says she wrote herself, and tells Jr. that she's multi talented. He's not a Sunny guy, Jr. at all. This was the debut of the uh, "I Know You Want Me." I think so because she says she says, "Do you like my new music?" And Vince is like yeah. dancing it up. So yeah, I think it's I think it's the debut of her song. I don't think yeah. she used anything before this because she just would have used her. Her wrestlers' music. Right. All right. Backstage, Doc is with Hunter S. Helmsley, Goldust, Jerry Lawler, Crush, and Marlena. Doc reveals that Mark Henry is injured, so this will be oh. four on three. The beginning of a trend for Mark Henry. He'd be out for a while because he doesn't return until January '98. So I don't know if that's all injury or they take that chance to train him as well in there. I think so, uh, but he's off TV till like right around the Rumble '98 time period. So it's. You know, we didn't. We haven't seen much of Mark at all in this stretch, but uh, so they say the match will be four and three. Hunter's feeling confident. King says Henry faked his injury. Jr. and Vince note that Helmsley gave a very seductive look at Marlena. So we'll see if that leads to anything going forward, or if just a throwaway line, just playing up Hunter, kind of being a coxman, or uh, will it mean something? Brings us to the ring. We have our next Survivor Series match. It is Mark Merrow 
Jake the Snake Roberts, the stalker Barry Windham, and the debuting Rocky Maivia taking on Hunter Selmsley, Goldust Crush, and Jerry Lawler. Everyone enters solo. Sunny puts over Marlena and says she's allergic. Uh, asthmatic, it would never smoke. She's innocent and pure, which, of course, JR takes issue with. Sonny also knows that Hunter is solo. He's He's got no women with her, and JR says that's because he's focused. Sonny says that's a stupid comment. They start to argue over the benefit of having a woman at ringside, and JR says Sable is the most beautiful woman in the WF. That triggers another argument. So they're pretty much bitching at each other the whole entrances. Wyndham has dropped the paint fully. He's got a WF shirt on. He's got camo pants. They're not even faking it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> they stop Barry Wyndham. Um, IV is out. He gets a pretty good pop. All the announcers are putting him over big time. Merrow gets a mic. He said they had never come out to this match shorthanded, and he's got a revelation. And replacing Mark Henry is Jake the Snake Roberts, who gets a big pop. So that team is back at full strength. Jake hits the ring. He clears it out with the snake. We get settled in. Sunday makes some drunk Jake notes. His king is in the ring. So, of course, they need someone to uh, take over for that. Jarrah says, Taker Mankind have had an interesting discussion on the Superstar line. After some stalling and tags about in mind games, Merrow and Goldust finally get started. Sonny brags about having a million downloads on AOL. Goldust slugs away. JR says, there's lots of rumors about Hunter and Perfect. And Sonny says, Hunter was tired of Mr. Perfect taking all the credit. Vince says, they had a difference of opinion. And we'll follow the story from here. So this is kind of the first admission we're really getting that Perfect may be done with this. Merrill works the arm. He tags in Wyndham. He gets a big flying clothesline. JR says his pants must be restrictive. Very weird crowd tonight. They're quiet again with some random pops. Hunter tags in as Vince gets romantic about Blackjack Mulligan against Pedro Morales at MSG. Merrill tags in. Hunter bails and tags Crush. Sonny wonders where Clarence Mason is tonight, and he says he's spreading himself thin. Rocky gets his first action. He works Crush's arm, rattles the king when he comes in, knocks him outside. Sonny's getting horny about Rocky, wants to manage him. Hunter tags in and works Rocky to the uh, knee, to the gut. We get some forms of punish, punches. Of course, this is a pretty historic moment. It's our first Triple H Rocky uh, rock match, I guess. Hunter suplexes Rocky and tags Goldust, gets two on an elbow. Crush comes in and keeps pounding Rocky. It's a backbreaker. King is pouring it on. He tags Hunter. Rock comes hammering back. Sonny makes a toupee joke as Rocky escapes and tags Jake. Jake cleans house on the whole team. He wakes up the crowd when he hits Hunter with a short arm clothesline, but he gets nailed from behind and trapped in the corner. Jake gets beat on a few until King comes in. He mocks Jake drinking. Jake pops up and snaps off a DDT and pins King clean, ostensibly ending their feud and eliminating him from the match. Pretty good spot there. Goldust comes in. He keeps Jake in the soup as JR is mocking Jake's pale skin, which seems a little off. Jake tags Wyndham, who comes with a flurry on Goldust. He gets two on a float over suplex. They battle back and forth until Goldust hits the curtain call to finish off his old tag team partner. I thought it was a pretty good showing for Wyndham. I thought they could have actually gotten more out of him in this match because he looked okay. Yeah. Merrow comes back in. He's all over Goldust. Hunter gets a tag. He takes over with his usual attack. Same by Crush. We get another long heat segment as all three guys work over Merrow, including a Hunter abdominal stretch, but they can't finish him off. The crowd is checked out hard here. Merrow finally mounts a comeback. He gets thwarted as Goldust clobbers him from behind. Hunter cuts off another comeback, but Jake ties him up, and that allows Merrow to hit a Merrow salt and eliminates his rival. Pretty surprising. Um, but again, even with Merrow pinning Hunter, which is a pretty good revenge spot for him, he still looks weak. Like Jake had to help him and then Crush kicks the shit out of Merrow right after. So he's still not presented strong in any way. Merrow throws Crush to the floor. He whiffs on a plancha. He really hits hard when he uh, lands on the floor. Back inside, Crush eliminates Merrow. We don't even see it on camera. Ross is confused about what happened. Again, Merrow just looks like a jobber. <laughs> this is like how the conquistadors get eliminated, you know? It's like, it's just like, we're not even looking at him. He just gets eliminated by fucking Crush of all guys. Yeah, it's, it's, in, a, it's in a double feature. 
So it's, it's like completely lost. Um, and after he pinned your IC champ, it was getting a big push. So just uh, kind of all right. over there. Jake tries a short arm clothesline, Crush hits the heart punch, and he's done. And that leaves Rocky alone against Crush and Goldust. Vince, uh, JR, and Sunday do a good job building the moment. They give the history of MSG. They say uh, the odds are against them. The crowd is into them. Crush clobbers Rocky, but he stays in it. Gets a flash near fall. Cuts through both guys and barrels into them with a crossbody. Rocky has to deal with both guys double teaming, but he dodges the heart punch. Crush hits Goldust by accident. Rocky then pins Crush with a crossbody block, and a minute later finishes Goldust with a shoulder breaker to win the match. He actually gets a really big pop for the win. So pretty cool, cool moment there as Rocky Maivia gets his first uh, match win in MSG. I thought the match, though, was pretty boring. And there's zero excuse, given the talent and the time they're given. Uh, it was plotting. The heat segments bowed it and dragged it down. Wyndham brought a lot of energy here. So I think it's the best we've seen him. And he was barely used. Hunter and Merrow go down with whimpers when they're the focus. Uh, Jake was fine. The crowd was at least into him. He, he gets to eliminate King. And I thought Rocky looked pretty good. But we could have gotten way more out of this. It goes 23 minutes. Like, it's just a lot of time. This felt like, to me, like a match on that, like, like Battle Bowl 93 or one of those shows. It just, like, had no business going as long as it was for as boring as it was. Uh, I went two and a half stars. And mm. the best parts were, again, were Wyndham, Jake and King, and then Rocky at the end. And I know I'm bitching about Marrow and Hunter. But I think Rocky surviving was the right choice. So I, I don't know what the answer is, but maybe the final... Maybe it comes down to Mero and Rocky, Hunter, Goldust, and Crush, and then Mero and Hunter brawl to the back. I think would have been a better way to go about it than the way they did, because they're still going to keep feuding. It's not over yet. So have them get double counted out and then get into the finish. But I don't know what else besides having Wyndham last longer, I guess, would have been the only other fix. Yeah, I went, I went two. Um, it's, it's a very plotting match. Uh, 24 minutes almost, like you said. I, the weird thing to me, I mean, if you look at this match on paper, it's such a bizarre match to look at in retrospect. It's just for me personally, like, there's three people in this match that are in my top 100 wrestlers <laughs> of all right. time. I mean, you got Goldust, Lawler, and Wyndham. Then you got two of the biggest stars in company history, including maybe the biggest star in company history, Rock and Emsley guy running the company uh and then you have marrow who we've talked about and then you have crush which is random like even even looking at the match on paper crush and jake jake's up there too uh is one of the best wrestlers of all time too just from a psychology standpoint crush though even on paper i know he came back at this like jailbird gimmick but i was shocked at how much they pushed him in this match yeah like he beats both Marrow and Roberts with the heart punch and him inadvertently hitting Goldust with the heart punch was like the main catalyst for Goldust to get eliminated too. Yep. So it, it's, it, was a, it was a heavy dose of Crush being uh, supplanting his uh, superior prowess over people I didn't think deserved it. It was a weird booking choice. My via... You could tell, like, he was paired off with the King uh, a lot in the early going. And that, I thought, was a smart decision. One, they had familiarity with each other from Memphis. Uh, and that was good for Rocky to have kind of a ring general that could help lead him through. I, I thought he looked good. I mean, it's his debut match. It's, it's a weird spot. Like, he certainly seems like he has some potential. He gets a good pop when he wins. 
it is still again weird again in retrospect to look at that because I mean, if you see him in this match, you would never guess he becomes one of the biggest stars of all mm-hmm. time. You know, from what you see in this match, like you would probably say, oh, you know, maybe he gets an IC title run or something like that. Uh, Mero with the Mero Salt was fine, but yeah, he splats on the floor, wipes out, then gets eliminated by Crush. That was a really wild elimination in the double feature that both Ross uh, and Vince on commentary completely missed. Like they're like, was Mero eliminated? And they didn't even know until he starts walking to the back. So that was bad. Um, for sure. Oh, overall, it's just it's just a very long match that didn't necessarily have to be. Sonny's pretty entertaining on commentary, uh, taking a lot of shots at Sable. Um, but uh, I, I thought Meltzer, Meltzer, here's what he says about Rocky in the in the match. I thought this was kind of interesting. He says, "My Via, who is 24 years old, showed a ton of athletic potential and looks to have a chance to be what they want him to be, which is one of the top guys in the company." But they better be careful and not shove him too fast as he's not there yet. So that was pretty uh, pretty forward thinking for Meltzer on what we'll see happens mm-hmm. in the months ahead. But, yeah, o- overall, it's just a weird match. It's one of those, like, if you could take 1989 Barry Windham, 1981 Jerry Lawler, <laughs> you know, like 2000 Hunter, 2000 rock and you know mix mix the best versions of all right. these guys together 1985 jake the snake you, you could have a match of the year candidate even with crush being the dead weight but um what's the best crush 92 93 crush i would say probably kona crush yeah, yeah 93 but uh yeah you just got a lot of people kind of past the prime you got some people still like gearing up and getting their legs still under him like hunter he looked fine throughout this match but he's still kind of ramping up and then you got rocky who it's literally his debut he's only a year in period in the business so obviously very green so so strange match it is like all these legends great workers all just like crossing in the night across the board for sure um but even then even with like you're saying oh 85 win on this but even 96 Wyndham, like, again, he looked fine. You know what I mean? Like, he looked good enough here. Like, they should have done more. This, uh, yeah, this was definitely the most motivated he looked. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that was just, uh, you know, one-off. We'll see. All right. We'll move along. We get a video package for the most anticipated match of the night, Bret Hart versus Steve Austin. We go backstage. Todd Pettengill is with Austin. He shits on the treatment and love tossed to Bret. It says uh, is uh, your usual cliche, or he hates Brett's usual cliches, but an ass-whipping is what Brett will get tonight. The crowd is cheering through all this. They wake up big time when he shows up on the screen for this interview, so they're ready. And that very, brings us to, yeah, good. Very underrated line when he says cliches are cliches and ass-whippings are ass-whippings. Yeah. Very, very good one. Yeah. All right. Brings us to our big match of the night. We've talked all about the builds, all about the hype. Bret Hart's first match was WrestleMania as he takes on Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin's laser focused, finally getting what he's been begging for, a chance at heart to prove he's a superstar. Jarrett puts him over. The vibe is just great in the arena. Todd talks to Bret backstage. He said, this is Madison Square Garden. It's holy ground. Bret has his fans behind him. He says he's not greedy for money. He's greedy for respect. And Steve Austin will respect him. And out he comes, his first match, like I said, since April. I think it's his first MSG match since that cool tag. Was it Brett and 
Taker against Diesel and Sean when Diesel hit Sean with a chair and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think I think that yeah. was a match. That was March. So uh, that's his first last FSG match before this. The build has, of course, been impeccable. Vince reveals that the winner of the match faces the WWF champion in your house, so the stakes are up there. Not only just the battle for respect, but now a battle for a title shot. Both guys circle and stare down. The crowd is buzzing. Austin puts up the double bird. JR ponders Brett's ring rust. He says both guys are in their prime, and we finally get a stalemate lockup. Austin's running his mouth. Brett shoves him. We get into some standing switches and some holds. JR says neither guy has ever submitted before tonight, but may have to. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but we'll roll with it. Austin works the arm. He takes over and snaps away. JR is in his glory, just locked in calling this match, really on point. Brett continues to work the arm until Austin levels him with a clothesline. He rocks him with punches. Brett twists back into control on the arm, but Austin blocks a charge to the stun gun, pounces with forearms to the neck, chokes away. Austin slingshots Brett's neck into the bottom rope. He's pounding on his throat into a chin lock. Austin cuts off the comeback with punches and batters the throat. Brett counters a whip and it hits a clothesline and atomic drop. The crowd is booing Brett a little bit as he gets two on a roll-up. Brett gets two on a leg sweep, but Austin blocks a bulldog. He shoves Brett to the buckle. Austin puts Brett on the top and tries a superplex, but Brett counters with a gourd buster and buries an elbow off the top. Austin sidesteps a charge and flings Brett over the top and heads outside. He runs his back into the post. Brett bounces back and starts assaulting Austin again over the railing into the crowd and stomps away and slams his face into the rail. JR is begging the ref to be lenient. They head through the ring. Back inside where Austin slingshots Brett into the Spanish announce table. He knocks over poor Hugo and Carlos who get trapped under Brett. Austin slams Brett on the table, smashes into him with an elbow off the apron. Austin suplexes Brett back in the ring. He stomps away, hits a middle rope elbow for two. Brett is hanging in as Austin slings him hard to the corner. He continues to battle the back, the neck, and grabs near falls. Austin gets an abdominal stretch, but Brett breaks free, comes punching back into it, wins a slugfest to a pop. Brett gets a stun gun for two and buries Austin with a nasty pile driver for two. Brett then gets a backbreaker. He heads up top. Austin jolts up, crotches him, and now gets a tight uh, top rope superplex to a big pop. But as they land, Brett cradles the legs and uh, gets two. That was an awesome spot. Austin gets up and hits a stunner out of nowhere, but he doesn't cover right away to pull him for the ropes. So Brett kicks out. Austin is pissed and slugs away some more. He keeps covering, but Brett keeps hanging in. Austin goes for a Texas Cloverleaf, but Brett gets the ropes and forces the break. Austin then punches at Brett, shoots him into the corner, but Brett's knee gives away and he rolls hard into the post. Austin then turns Brett into a bow and arrow. Brett breaks free and hooks the legs, but Austin grabs the ropes before he can turn the sharpshooter in. Brett then punches away and grabs a sleeper. Austin drives him into the corner, hits a jawbreaker to stop it. Austin then digs deep into his bag and hooks a million-dollar dream. Brett pushes himself off the top rope and rolls back to win the match to a very big pop. Ross reminds us that Brett now gets a title shot in your house. Vince says it could be a WrestleMania rematch with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Austin is shocked as Brett celebrates with the fans. He walks over and shakes Vince's hand. And that is that. Uh, This is a great match. It's an instant classic. It was an announcement to everyone that Brett was back. Austin showed he could go with the best. He delivered a big match, solidified as a star. Ross was great, too, calling this. It was important, straightforward. No bullshit from him. Uh, it was good that King wasn't there either. Just JR and Vince just doing their thing. It was a clean match. It felt like the beginning of the war as well and not the end, which I thought was well done. It didn't feel like they were emptying the chamber. It felt like they were just trying to prove who was better, but leaving uh, more heat for later. I think a hotter ending sequence could have bumped this up. But again, it's a good starting point to the rivalry versus an end. Uh, and it was a true treat. It was a wonderful exhibition of classic wrestling. It's an easy match to watch. For years, I was five stars on this. I'm a little bit less. I'm at four and a half now. Uh, but it was still really, really great. And I think it's 
shows a testament to Bret Hart's ability that he came off the bench after you know six or seven months to break out this match. It shows with Austin, you know, the level that he's locked in at that he delivered this as well. Uh, and this is a classic for these fans tonight. I went four and three quarters. I think it's the best match we watched on the podcast so far. I uh, yeah. it was just a really intriguing match to watch given the build. I think sometimes the match being labeled more, you know, like the WrestleMania 13s, the big brawl, and people say, like, this is the technical classic. I think that's selling what the main crux of the story for this match is. They do bust out some interesting stuff. Like, I don't know if Austin does the cloverleaf again, uh, the bow and arrow. There, There's some very unique moves uh, that are busted out in this match from a technical standpoint. But I think the main thing with this match and why that I enjoyed it so much on this watch, watching the build was it's the classic match. And one of the classic themes you see in great movies like raging bull, where the protagonist ends up losing at the end, like Jake LaMotta loses the match mm-hmm. or the boxing match. Austin loses this match, but in the overarching story, like he wins so much because even just on a micro sense of this match alone to beat Austin, one Brett had to be incredibly resourceful and pull out this move that you'd really only seen done when he beat Piper at WrestleMania 8. And two, really to gain any advantage in this match, Brett had to wrestle the brawling style of Austin. So he almost had to get onto Austin's level, um, which is, a, you know, quote unquote, like a moral victory for Austin. Mm-hmm. When you watch how the matches work, in the in the onset where Brett, you know, is working the arm, doing very basic kind of um, hammerlock type arm work, and you know, going through the motions and whatnot, he's gaining some advantage. But Austin's always kind of the aggressor. He's able to hit the more high impact move, which is called out by Ross, especially when he gets a stun gun in. I thought that was a really key pivotal moment in this match that transitions it from a beginning to a more excitable match that really then starts to ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. Once he hits that stun gun, that just kind of sets off a chain of events. Um, But I think the key thing, if you watch the first five or six minutes of this match, this is an interesting thing with the crowd too. And this is something, you know, you hear with like Japanese crowds and whatnot. But in the beginning of this match, there's not a ton of crowd heat when they're doing the chain wrestling portion. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the crowd, everyone is intently watching the match. Uh, It was very interesting. There's, There's when Brett has that hammer lock in, they have the hard cam facing the entrance. You can see Vladimir faith, no more guy, all our buddies, But if you look up at the crowd, you know, nobody's making a ton of noise, but they're just standing there intently watching the match 
Um, and that, that I thought was very, that resonated with me. And then of course they do start making noise as the match progresses, but just the spots, I think on this match, when it starts to bowl over, goes outside, there was a, a, a tinge of unpredictability that was very exciting throughout the match. Like when they break into the crowd a little bit and the guardrail goes awry. And then when, uh, Brett gets catapulted into the Spanish announce booth. I don't know if Hugo Savinovich knew they were doing that. They, <laughs> yeah, they, they got surprised. barrels. Yeah. So Brett goes like plowing in. He gets slammed. You know, you're not seeing the monitors get cleared off. It's still not cliche that you have these table spots on every big pay-per-view main event. The table doesn't combust into a million pieces. So, you know, it's not a gimmick table. Um, and even the small things like seeing all the like pizza boxes and trash on mm-hmm. the floor, like it, it gave it a very like realized look. Um, I also liked this match how Brett goes through his cycle of moves pretty quickly in the match. Like if you if you think about it from a timing wise, he starts doing the Russian leg sweep and gets the top rope, uh, you know, forearm smash. He does that around 10 to 15 minutes into the match, which I thought was good from a psychological standpoint, too, because it shows, like, Brett kind of, in some ways, took it for granted that, okay, like, I, you know, this guy has been messing around, but now I'm going to perform my moves and, you know, see you later. And that didn't happen. Uh, so overall that was good. Brett does that kind of Oklahoma side role also does the quick pin attempt off of the superplex to give some hope spots. Uh, but Austin is very relentless throughout this match. He, he, he constantly works on, it's not a whim match, but his point of impact is always the back, the chest, the throat like that kind of long capacity like he was going to take Brett into deep waters and brutalize him throughout Mm -hmm. this match that was his task and he was living on the edge like he was mouthing off with Tim White he you know holds the clover leaf when Tim White even counts to five just to dare him to you know disqualify him so he he really goes right up to the edge uh, in this moment, but knows this is a big moment for him. You can see the crowd kind of resonating with that. But I did like how Brett still was able to get a baby face reaction to um, the, the finish itself. I, I think uh, after the stunner, I didn't I didn't have a problem with the stunner being kicked out of. I thought that was. I, I I thought that was a decent choice for it to happen at this point in time. Um, it was actually surprising because I, mm-hmm. I wasn't very familiar with a high like high impact moves right. being kicked out of at that point in time. Uh, so I I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, Hart going for the sharpshooter that you know he hadn't really done any leg work at all. Um, so so that kind of Felt a little bit out of left field, but that's his move. So that's what he goes to. Uh, And then the finish, I thought, left a lot of room for uh, continuation of the feud. Jim Ross, easily his best performance on commentary in WWF. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he he goes after Vince. Vince 
thankfully kind of lays out and lets Ross take the lead on this match, which was a smart decision, and he inputted when he needed to. Um, so, so it's just it's just overall just a classic performance. It's it's a great match to watch the build up to, and then to watch them deliver. Uh, it's it's definitely a different match from WrestleMania 13. I don't think it's necessarily the technical counterpoint like it sometimes gets uh, presented as, but it's an incredible match on its own. Yeah, I mean, it's... So, I know coming in, right, you're a little shaky on the build itself, like that Austin was saying he was going to kick his ass, but then he wanted to out-wrestle him, and, and it sounds like you feel like there was a good blend of the two with Austin pushing limits, yet still trying to prove himself against Brett. Um, and again, like, to me, it feels like they did a real nice job of giving us a complete story, like you said, like in a vacuum, a great match, but then also leaving enough to where it feels like it's starting the feud and not ending it. So it didn't feel like a one and done, but it didn't feel like a typical opening match of a feud where you might've got a DQ or a soft finish. We got a clean decisive finish done in a way that protects Austin still and sets us up for something that could be more intense down the line. So I think they did a nice job with that as well as the, um, this in-ring portion as well. So, uh, definitely a classic for sure. And yeah, and I, I think the way Austin wrestles the match felt very true to form. Like he right. wasn't my, 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 uh, my kind of feeling going in was a lot about how the match sometimes get presented. I didn't remember it kind of hold for hold as well as I kind of thought mm-hmm. I did. Um, and I was worried that, like, oh, yeah, Austin, like, really tries to wrestle him. Because, I, right. you know, I, I think if you just pull those submission moves, you think, like, oh, you know, what is this? But those submission moves had a psychological mm-hmm. uh, benefit to what he was doing and where his point of attack was. And it was kind of a vicious, you know, I'm just going to wind you and wind you and wind you till you're out of breath kind of attack that he was going for. So it worked for me. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing, too, is, like, you feel like Austin's already been a star on the rise, but this is kind of a star maker match. You talked about it. Like, it proved that he could hang with Brett, and, you know, we knew he could talk, right? We knew he could fight and be an asshole, but we haven't really seen him go out there and deliver a classic match. And now here he is. He's got that under his belt, too. So this felt to me like the final piece of the puzzle to start the super launch of, like, what he brings to the table. Like, we see he can cut a promo. He can have engaging feuds. He can carry television episodes. Now he can have a classic match of the year candidate, right? So all that's left is them just finding the right approach to push him. And that's it. Like, he's there. He's got everything. You know, it's a full package at this point. So um, it's it started at King of the Ring, and, and here we are. Like, that that stretch right there is what solidified him. It's, it's crazy, too, that Brett, this is the second time in Madison Square Garden he's kind of done that. Like, he did it with Owen at WrestleMania 10. Now yep. he does it with Austin, too. Um, and, and Brett in this building, like, he says it in his pre, you know, match promo. Like, it was something like, oh, this isn't church, but it's a holy, you know, holy arena or whatever. Um, Brett, if you look at his four pay-per-view matches in Madison Square Garden, take out the Yoko title win, 
if you do versus this match versus Owen versus Perfect and the Demolition versus Heart Foundation tag from SummerSlam '88. I, I don't know if there's a stronger four match uh, streak in an mm-hmm. arena uh, beyond that. That's a pretty hefty lineup. Well, it definitely delivered. Uh, it definitely lived up to the legend, and we'll see if the rest of the show does as well. Because at this point, you know, this show's always been held up as like one of the greats, right? But to that point, yeah. we we're feeling it at all. Yeah. Yeah. I. I We'll get to it. There's some more to come. I do think, I mean, the main event we'll speak to. I don't think it's a secret to, that both of us like the main event at least. Mm-hmm. But to me, this is the match that, like, if you want to say this is a classic pay per view, it's because you love this match. Like, this right. was the make it or break it match. Like, if they go out there and even have like a three and a half star match, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't. This is a middle-of-the-road pay-per-view for sure. Right. 100%. Yep. This is this is one that makes you say, okay, well, if the main event, you know, is great, not all time, but it's great, and now you have this on top of it, plus the debut of Rocky, right? So it's like, there's a lot, like, those three alone make it a big deal. I mean, if Taker Mankind delivers more, maybe you're thinking, you're talking even more of an upper echelon show, but... Yeah. All right, let's see how we finish. Doc is in the back with Psycho Sid. He asks if tonight's the night he finally snaps. It's a not snap, but survive. And he'll do anything he has to do to win the title because he is the better man. Out yeah, wanders. Yeah, got the, uh, any thoughts the, on that? The, the backwards cap. One, uh, real quick, like like I said, Vince was good on that. There was a funny moment where uh, JR is trying to get like his final point in right before they go to the Sid promo where he just says, like, I don't think on this night either Sid or Shawn Michaels could beat Bret Hart, you know, how he performed right, right. on this night. And Vince is like, I completely disagree with that. <laughs> like, it's such, he has such a, like, a hard-on probably right. for Shawn. But it's like, oh, come on, Vince. Like, that was a good point. <laughs> but, yeah, Sid's promo was pretty crazy. Whacked out. What do you Yeah, expect? he's out Yeah. <laughs> All right, Captain Albano wanders out, looking confused yeah. as always. Uh, Vince and Jared talk about the Hall of Fame ceremony from yesterday. Jared, of course, uh, shitting on Albano. And Albano says down with the Spanish announce team. So he's going to commentate in Spanish, apparently, with Hugo and poor Carlos, who are still recovering mm-hmm. from their bump. All right, we then get to our next match, which I think is one of the most bizarre yet interesting Survivor Series matches of mm-hmm. all time. As Yokozuna, who we have not seen since the SummerSlam free-for-all, Savio Vega, Flash Funk, who's making his debut, of course, the former Two Cold Scorpio, who just wrapped up his ECW run on Friday night, uh, November to remember. Uh, I'm sorry, was it? I always get that confused. The night before? No, it was Friday, right? Friday night. Uh, uh, oh, no, Saturday. It was Saturday. Saturday. Night before. Yeah. yeah night before. Uh, so he wrapped up, and that was, he had like four matches on that freaking show because they kept doing the, you yeah. know, keeps beating guys, and then he finally lost. So, um, so he's making his debut here. Not a surprise. I talked it up on ECW. And the mystery man revelation of Superfly Jimmy Snuka. We'll talk about more about that in a moment. Taking on uh, the revamped Farouk. Talk about that as well in a second. <laughs> Razor Ramon, Diesel, and Vader. He's also kind of been MIA for a bit here. Just such a weird mix of guys. Yeah. Let's go one by one. <laughs> so here goes <laughs> He's been gone since SummerSlam. Do you think they had plans to bring him back? Is this just like, let's put a name in MSG? 
because this is it. Like, he's done after this. So, like, what are we doing? <laughs> Why is he here? Yeah, it's a weird roster spot. I, I guess they do it because he's against Cornette, but I don't know. It, it, it does seem strange that the guns weren't on this show, like on pay-per-view. I don't know. Right. I. Yeah. I mean, Yoko, the, the best thing about Yoko's zone in this match is Cornette's on commentary and one of Vince's best, best, better lines that I always remember is uh, they're, they're panned on Cornette on commentary. He just sat down. Yoko Zuna's music hits and Vince says, here comes somebody even bigger than you. And the look on Cornette's face <laughs> is just like so appalled. And then Vince is like, well, he is, isn't he? And Cornette's like, well, yeah, but you acted like it wasn't by much or something like that. Just one of the like all time, like Cornette looks so appalled that Vince would even compare the two of them. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> so Yoko, actually, we, we had seen good. him. We had seen him once in SummerSlam. It's when he fought Sean. Um, oh uh, yeah, right, right. Uh, but that was a while. That was the next night after SummerSlam, so we haven't seen yeah. him since. Basically, that was before Mind Games. Yeah. Right. Um. So he went. He he took time off to lose weight. Shows up for this match. Then he goes home again to LA to lose weight some more to keep trying to you know diet and work through it. He was supposed to be on a tour, the tour of the United Kingdom. Uh, he gets replaced there. He apparently loses another hundred pounds after this, but the officials weren't able to clear him some states said they wouldn't do it new york would wouldn't clear him he actually doesn't get released you want to take a guess i mean i'm guessing it's a while based on how you phrase that but what 97 or may of 98 that's crazy and he's not on tv again so they keep him around for a year and a half to try and get him into shape and figured out and vince finally decided to let him go JR later would say that Yoko knew the release was coming. He probably, due to heart issues, due to his weight, they said that the death of Brian Pillman uh, prior to that played a role because he had died of an undiagnosed heart issue, and they didn't want to take a liability now of Yoko doing the same. So that didn't help. But, I mean, it's hard to go again. Like, they gave him a lot of time. I mean, they, Like, they kept him under roster, I'm assuming paid on some level, for the next year and a half despite not wrestling and being in shape. So they definitely tried for this guy. It seems like they flew him to South Africa. Can you imagine Yoko at this size on the <laughs> plane to South Africa? That's, That's crazy. That is a long flight. Um, yeah. He, I mean, this yeah. is his last match in WWF and I don't think he has anything. I'm looking at his cage match. He has like five matches between this and literally one of the worst matches of all time at the heroes of wrestling pay-per-view. Right. He does a couple indie things. Um, I mean, there was always the rumors in 97 that he was going to go to WCW for Hogan to beat. Right. I mean, that was always the big rumor. Um, get his win back over Yoko. Uh, that never happens. And of course, he'd pass away. Uh, well, he ballooned up to 760 pounds. Um, so he'd gained everything back. He lost that hundred. Uh, and he said he was he was intentionally getting bigger. His goal weight was 800, 850 to 900. So he could be the heaviest wrestler ever. Which is just oh, depressing. Yeah, um, I mean that. <laughs> he passed away <laughs> at age 34. Yeah. On October 23rd, 2000, and he had awful. two kids. Like, so it's just it's awful that he just threw in the towel. Yeah. I know it's not easy, you know, but it's like 
it just sucks. Like to, you know, have a family and like still just be so unmotivated or motivated the wrong way, right? Or it's like a self fulfilling. Yeah, life. I mean, it's like any addiction. Yeah. I mean, he, he was just addicted. He couldn't stop eating and gaining weight. Yeah, so it sucks. Couldn't couldn't prevent it. Uh, the cage match rating for the Heroes of Wrestling <laughs> match. Zero point one six. It's terrible. On it's forty three buzz. I mean, yeah, it's 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 literally one of the worst matches ever. Great, great podcast memory doing that. <laughs> yes. Fun place to be podcast so episode. <laughs> so bad. Uh all right, Savio Vega, who cares? Uh so Flash yeah. Funk, pretty good pickup, I think. I mean, he obviously had a great run in ECW and um you know, I think questionable gimmick choice out of the gate. Dressing him up basically as a pimp. He's got two girls dancing with him. Um, so the I don't funk know. Ants. Yeah, the funk ads. Like, so I don't know if we're off to a great start here. No. Uh, Ross, he's wearing red and yellow. Ross pops up a line that red and yellows never looked as good in that yeah, building as it line. does tonight, which is yep. a good shot at Hogan. Uh, so we're, we'll we're see. Gimmick. I mean, why do you think they did? I mean, why not? I guess they didn't really make it. I don't know. Like, why not just come in as Scorpio? Was it right. that big of a deal? No, it's and it's not like we're not really in the era of gimmicks. Still, I guess we're kind of in a hybrid. Um, yeah, it's weird because I was thinking about that because it's like, well, Vader's Vader, but then you do have Freddy Joe Floyd, Stalker, well, Mankind. Like, I mean, I guess yeah, Mark Mero. Yeah, that's. I I don't know. They should have yeah, yeah, I agree. And he would have got an even bigger pop here, probably, if he comes out of Stuckel Scorpio and stuff, like, in, in New York. I mean, it was a big ECW hotbed. Well, so. I, I think even beyond just, like, being a pimp, which is a, probably for the best anyway, it's it's the fact that he went, like, the 1970s, you know, right. shaft route, which is, like, you know, that was... This is not in an era where, oh, like it's nostalgic, you know, right, what I mean? right. like to dress up like a 70s. Like he could have, I don't know, done something more contemporary and it been better. Well, and it's obviously Scorpio, too. Like at least Mankind well, and Goldust have like new looks and stuff. You know, like he's clearly Scorpio. Like and, and it, it's not his bodysuit is not even that different than his friggin' wrestling outfit. Like, no, I mean, in the cornet, like it's like, who is this guy? And that's all I got. Right. right. I mean, you can still make him Scorpio and make him a pimp. You know what I mean? Like, even the name is... <laughs> True. Just make him too cool Scorpio and say, oh, he's going back, you know, whatever. He's taking a different approach. <laughs> whatever. Um, so we'll see how <laughs> he progresses. But again, like, not the best debut for him. Like, because this no. match is to be such a shit show. If they would have mixed up what we talked about earlier and just had him do a squash debut, you know, I think it gets over more. Sure. For sure. All right. Then we get our surprise mystery man, Jimmy Snuka. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets a big pop at first, but then it's like oh. disapp- that he's the mystery man. I didn't um, think he got a good big pop. I think when he, they, when this when the super super fly first hits, they pop. Mm-hmm. But then I think they realize like what it means that oh, this is the the big mystery. I want like the other way. Like they have the wide shot when they do the super fly, and you can see like there's not a lot of reaction. I think there's so much disappointment that, like, I mean, the rumors were crazy. And obviously the biggest one was Macho Man. Um, I, I was 100% guaranteeing it was Macho Man at the time. I remember being locked in on that. It was all over AOL. That friggin' picture they used looked just like Macho Man. I guess it could also look like Snuka, but it looked just like Macho Man with the way he stands. He hadn't been on WCW. He had lost that match at Halloween Havoc. 
it seemed like they were primed for him to come back here. Yeah, here's what, a big deal. here's what Dave has on it. There were talks with Randy Savage. Apparently, the two sides were far apart on terms, and no talks are going on any longer. The feeling is that Titan is so fearful of raids that they only want guys that they sign for three- to five-year contracts, and the feeling is that Savage may help in the short run because his name, his guarantee, would be so high, and they wouldn't want him on top for long, so it makes no sense to sign him long-term but they don't want him on TV for one year and then have him go back to WCW when the deal is up either. So, All right. Well, is he going to be shitty in a year or not? Like, like if he's going to be good, sign him for three years. If you're afraid of him going back to WCW in 98, but you won't sign him for two years, like you obviously think he's going to be washed. So what's the difference? I, um, yeah. I think you can make an argument. This is one of the worst mystery partners of all time. Reveals. Like it's even, up there for sure. Even like, gimmicks that don't work like even the diesel Sid or diesel razor stuff like that's using young guys and is trying something as dumb as it sounds on the surface and was an execution I mean this is this is 53 year old Jimmy Snuka who looks every bit of 53 by the way like he looks old as can Mm -hmm. be hobbling out there um, I'm, I wanted to mention this with the Brett match, but we talked about like with the ratings. I mean, there's a lot of kids here. Like you look at yeah. ringside when Brett's shaking hands, like it's mostly kids. Like it's insane how different the dynamics are on the crowd demographic. Mm-hmm. But I mean, these kids they don't remember Snooka. They, right. You know, he was the jobber when I was. I yeah. mean, when I was a kid, that's what he was. He was the big jobber that you know Steve Albert said was wearing his wife's. Underwear. <laughs> that's that's how I remember Jimmy Snow. Steve so. Allen, of course. Steve, Steve Albert. Albert. Who did I say? Steve Albert. <laughs> Steve Albert. Mars brother. Kenny's yeah, brother. Mars. Yeah. Being now from downtown. Jimmy Snow guy has his wife's underwear. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah. I mean. No, but I'm I, with you. Yeah. This is one of the worst. I think it's one of the worst reveals. I I, I don't. It, it, you know, with this with Savage, if if what Dave's saying is true, then they had to have known that ahead of time, right? Like what they think, he just would be like, "Oh, sure, I'll come in for a year." So, yeah, I wonder how late they those discussions went. Like, did they keep this spot open in case it was him with Snook on the back burner, thinking he'd get the nostalgia pop, perhaps? Um, I can't imagine they went into this the whole time thinking Snooker. Yeah, I mean, I just think, like, having Snook as a backup is bad. Right. It's just, I, I don't know what the alternative could have been, but not this. So. Yeah, it's and it's such a weird match, too. It's not like Snook mm-hmm. is getting carried. That's why I said at least maybe you put him with Taker in that other spot. Like, all right, who cares? Like, Taker's carrying that match anyway. Like, this has got no one. <laughs> this, this is him, you know what I mean? Like, he's kind of the big face of the match. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the savage thing's a whiff. Uh, if you think of it in baseball terms, like sometimes signing a division rival guy from a division rival is like a double hit, right? So if you pull Savage out of WCW, you're doing some damage to them too. So it's not just like a sunk cost if he's there for two years, three years, who gives a shit? Um, I know you just spent some money on Brett, right? Well, give Savage that deal. You gave Brett the 10 year deal. You think he's going to age gracefully in three years? Like, whatever. Just have Savage give him that deal, too, and say, okay, here are our two lifetime icons. Like, they wanted to do that before. And then push how long he can go. 
and then he transitions into the the face of the promotion like whatever and you you know think of you know he doesn't have a lot of great time left he's got like a year and a half of gas on the tank i think so what yeah. he, he's do a great 97 put him in there with austin and the heart foundation and mcmahon like and he's great probably in that run in 97 and and you take him out of what ends up being one of the best angles of 97 in wcw and all the stuff with Hogan in 98, like you, you kill that for WCW. So it would be a double whammy and you get your legend back that people have been clamoring for. And you get a big moment here. Like if he comes out here and he stands tall in this match, like you have instant main eventer Mick added into the mix again, you know? Yeah. It's, it's bad. I mean, it's just bad. I knew it's coming. Even watching it was even more disappointing than I had to remember. It's a whiff. Um, all right. Finally, <laughs> a lot of time on this, but finally we got Farouk. Uh, so his debut in this new character, uh, we get a heavy beat on music and then outcome, you know, two white guys who we know is PG 13, <laughs> who of course had been, uh, been on before. What do you see? Like late 95. I think they had a couple of matches on raw, um, yeah. mainly in smoky mountain. I think they had popped up once before this in ECW, maybe, They'd be in ECW again the next year, but um, they rap about something called the Nation of Domination. Out comes Haruk. He's wearing all black gear, black leather. He's got um, a leather hat on. Uh, Clarence Mason is with them, and another guy in a suit. And I feel like th- this felt like a big deal. Like, I thought this is the way to do it, too, in front of this crowd on pay-per-view. I don't know where it feels like, oh, this is this is big time, like when they all come out. Um, the music is like really pounding and it hit, hits well. Farouk obviously was desperately needing a change, so this was a smart approach. This feels much more realistic uh, and in your face. I think it takes better um, use of Farouk's strengths too, which is his talk, his angry rage talking. Right, we started his ECW run. We've seen it a little bit as Farouk Assad. His strength right now is his believability as an angry man, uh, and he he gets to do that here with this this gimmick. So uh, I thought this was a really good. Um, we can start with the match part, but I thought as far as presentation, this was a really good debut for him. Yeah, I, like, I mean, I love the way it started because he's the first person to come out. So all of a sudden you hear, mm-hmm. like, we are the nation of domination. You're like, what? And then you see PG-13, who, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how they were kind of picked to be as lackeys, um, you know, kind of tolling around in USWA around this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they wrap him out. He's got the suits in the back, which I was wondering if one of those was D-Lo, but it wasn't. He's um, only got one, I think, with Mason at this one. Yeah, I don't think he's expanded two, yet. Were there yeah, two? There's two? Yeah, there's two guys behind him. But um, he had a pretty good entourage. I mean, because you think you got PJ-13, the two suits, Mason and him. He gives the, you know, the power fist to all corners of the ring. And the music's really underrated. Like, between that and that, like that music, Sonny's music debuting both on the show. Uh, you know, Austin's music still fresh. Like this is a good time for mm-hmm. iconic WWF themes. Yeah, they definitely pick up steam for sure. Um, and they, they had the the Memphis slash Smoky Mountain relationship brewing anyway. Some of these guys bringing in like dirty, dirty white boy and all these other guys. So I could see why. I guess the, the ties are there right now to bring in dudes from the Memphis area um, in 96. And, you know, it's a, it's a decent choice. It, it's an it's an aggressive choice, but it works well. Like This was definitely needed. It's a good debut. 
Uh, all right, Ramon saunters out. Jared's grousing about the fans booing him. Uh, he gushes over the young talent he brought in, Diesel's well. This is the most heelish he got. It was a little bit here. Besides yeah. when he was shit on Sonny, but I mean, Sonny's a heel, so. Uh, this was really the the most, like, he was sinking back to the old JR character, defending these guys. Uh, Vader comes out, feeling really lost in the shuffle. Uh, like you said, Cornette gets in the booth. He's bitching about the mystery on all the opponents here. Savio dances out. He's followed by Yokozuna, who, again, we haven't seen him forever. He looks massive. JR says Cornette led him to the buffet table. Flash Funk debuts next. He comes out with the Funkettes, uh, like we said, dressed like a pimp. Cornette wants to know who this is, and JR begs Vince not to dance again. Not a lot of excitement for Vince. He seems very distracted on commentary. So I don't know what was going on um, in his ear, because he seems a little out of it at this point. Maybe I'm thinking it was a time thing, because as we'll yeah. talk about this match, they wrap up real fast. So yep. they might have been trying to go back and forth with whoever was in Gorilla around uh, timing out the rest of the show. So maybe that's why he's distracted. Uh, Cornette is working hard, though, to get Funk over. Jared gets a great line that you mentioned. The red and yellow never look better at MSG. Out comes Jimmy Snuka. Uh, we get started with Vader bullying Flash Funk with some hard offense. Cornette's still ranting about everything. Funk comes back with the leg lariat. Vader falls back before contact and looked awful. And then Vince says it, which makes it even worse. <laughs> He's like, oh, I didn't really get him. Uh, Vader ends up on the floor. Funk gets a moonsault off the top. We get ECW chance. Back inside, Vader levels Funk with a body block and a powerbomb. In comes Yoko. He takes out his old rival, Urinagi, Urina, Urinagi uh, which leaves Vader into pain. Uh, we'll talk about that on our next Raw because he ends up uh, messing his leg up on that move. JR has been shitting on the refs all night. Continues here. Farouk and Savio reset as JR says Farouk got rid of his goofy headgear. Savio lands a wheel kick, but Farouk slugs away and tags Razor. Savio goes right at Razor. JR and Cornette bicker. Cornette says JR couldn't manage a Wendy's. JR said he could if Cornette lived in the town. Razor gets a fallaway slam and tags Diesel, who mauls Savio. Drives into his own corner. He tags Funk. Funk dodges the big boot and unloads a flurry, but Diesel clotheslines him out of midair and counters the sunset flip with a tree slam. Fruit comes in and Funk tumbles into him, uh, but jumps into a nasty spine buster. Vader hobbles in and hits a body block, but Funk falls into a tag. In comes Savio. Savio gets tangled in the corner, but he fights off all four guys, slaps away a Diesel with some good energy. In comes Snooka to a pop. He unloads on Diesel, but eats a boot. Vader tags in and hits, Snooka hits him with a leaping headbutt and body slams him, which looks pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, it gets a pop. Snooka shoves Vader into his own corner, which is a threat in this match where guys just keep shoving back at the tags for some reason. Razor tags in. Snooka escapes and tags Savio. Savio pushes Razor back into a tag as well. Diesel comes in. Vader pulls down the top rope and Vega flops to the floor. Farouk shoves him into the post and throws him back inside. Diesel jackknifes Vega and eliminates him. A bit surprising. In comes Snooka. Diesel ducks his head and catches a kick. He tags Razor, who also gets worked over by the Superfly. Snooka heads up top, hits a Superfly splash, and pins Razor clean. Uh, Razor clean. Diesel comes in, hits Snooka with a chair. That triggers a big brawl with all eight guys, and they all get disqualified as the face is clean house, and we are done. So I mean, Yoko never even tags in. Diesel loses clean to Jimmy Snooka. Like this is completely <laughs> all over the place. I will say this. I mean, the match had energy. And moved quickly. Mm. I'll take this all day over that other fucking match, without a doubt. Uh, mm. They were clearly tight on time and had to go home. So I'm guessing that was why things were frenetic. But I'll take this over either of the other Survivor matches, honestly. I, I guess the end of the 0-1-1 is better. But um, this was better than the Mara one for me. I, I enjoyed it much more because the pacing was better. The strategy is the disaster. As everyone keeps shoving guys into their own corner. But everyone got some shine. Funk, I thought, looked pretty good. Like, he got the most shine and showed potential. Um, you know, Snooka gets the splash. Yoko looks gassed and cooked. Um, but the biggest takeaway of this is the new Farouk, who I think they should have done the 91 flare 
and had him in the ring alone and win as the sole survivor. Even if it's cheap, just give him the win, you know? Uh, so I ended up going two and a half. So same grade as the Mero match, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more. Yeah, you're uh, way more positive than me. I'm uh, I'm at a star and a half. I <laughs> thought this was bad. Um, thought Razor looked really bad. Diesel looked really bad. They were in it a lot. Um, Farouk, the character's cool in ring. <laughs> um, well, nothing changes there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, Yoko doesn't tag in. He just looks fat. Snuka just looks old. It's it's sad. Uh, Funk with the moonsault, I thought was the best. Um, Va- even Vader, like you know, like they're Vader and Funk uh, have a sequence where they uh, like uh, Funk's doing a crossbody and Vader like goes up real early. Um, mm-hmm. Takes the bump like even before Punk's left his feet. So it, it, it's overall, this just seemed very rushed and haphazard. With again a bunch of guys that seem to be going nowhere, and a couple of guys that are on the rise. But I mean, really, in this match, I would say like Funk, slight potential, but the gimmick sucks. Vader, you know, maybe he can bounce back. Vega's fine as a lower card person mm-hmm. but you know he's done being in the upper mid card for sure and then Farouk Farouk's your one kind of promising I would say bright spot right. and Razor and Diesel it's just it's over for them like no heat no nothing so they're done uh, or should be so we'll, we'll see them like I'm actually a little surprised at how long they continue with them uh, going forward like mm-hmm. I know they're not too focal but Still, like, I, I think by this point, they could have just had them disappear from TV and it would have been fine. Yeah, I think they're around at least through the end of January. So, yeah, I mean, I know they're in the Rumble. So, yeah. we'll see. Uh, we'll see after that. But otherwise, felt kind of like a disjointed match to me. Finish suck. I like your fantasy booking of Farouk pulling a 91 flare. That would have been a good uh, caveat for the match. But as it is, I didn't like it. Story. Yeah, I mean, you could have had him standing in the ring with, like, his crew around him guarding him. You know what I mean? And then he survives. Everyone else gets DQ. Mm-hmm. So, like, PG-13, the two suits are two suits are standing around him and, um, you know, guarding him from any action. And then he wins that way just to get over the gimmick even more and protect yeah. him a bit. I guess I just, I just enjoyed the chaotic nature. It, and it was quick and messy, which was fine. Well, again, I, if, I, if you gave me this versus the soccer match again... Like, I'm watching this. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, the soccer match was two and a half times the length of this right, one. exactly. So it was definitely longer. I'd rather take short crap than long, slow, boring <laughs> crap. Right. So, um, <laughs> all right. And with that, it's made event time. So we, we rushed through that to make sure we had time. Uh, we get a video package for Shawn Michaels versus Psycho Sid. And that is our World Wrestling Federation Championship match. It's kind of been out of nowhere. Sid has been ramped up, heated up. He upset Vader, and here we go. Sean has been on fumes. We've talked about it. Uh, it is a fresh opponent. The feud has revived him a little bit. We get a good vibe during Sid's entrance. The crowd is fired up. He's feeding off of it. Jr. even knows he's got his fan base here. It's clear. Sean is focused as he comes out with Jose uh, Lothario, but there's a loud mix of boos and some high-pitched cheers. Vince and Jarrah go into full overdrive, putting him over. It definitely has a good big match feel here. Sid dominates early with heavy strikes. Vince calls it out. You can feel Sid's confidence. Sean's being worn out from this crazy rain. Uh, I talked about this when 
Aaron and I talked to this match recently on No Holds Barred. To me, this had a very Rocky Three feel, where Sean is kind of worn out from this crazy rain, taking this maybe a little for granted, uh, not expecting Sid to come out as on fire as he did. Uh, but it, it does. Uh, the crowd is booing all of Sean's offense as he controls on the map. JR says that Jose's trained Sean to avoid the powerbomb. We see that as he scampers away when Sid goes for it. Sean goes to the leg with a chop block. He gets to work grinding away, including a figure four, which is a pretty good strategy. Sid takes over with his power, works a methodical offense, some heavy kicks and clubs. He, at one point, even swats away a cameraman. Sean tries to push back, but Sid clobbers him to the floor in a good bump. Sid follows out. He drops Sean across the barricade as he gets cheered on. He's dapping up the fans. It's a really cool vibe. Back of the ring, Sid pummels Sean with hard kicks and punches, just beating him into dust. Sean keeps finding openings, but Sid keeps cutting them off. A great spot where he catches a high cross body and busts Sean with a backbreaker, soaking in the chairs when catching him. Sid slugs away to wobbly Sean as JR wonders if this is a rope-a-dope by Sean. And right on cue, Sean comes hammering back to booze. The crowd is fully against him now. Sid works a Cobra Clutch. Loads a choke slam, but Sean counters. Sid blocks Sweet Chin Music, hits a choke slam to a huge pop. The atmosphere is just so good here. It's completely lit. Sid cuts off another comeback with a power slam for two. Everything is crisp. Sid keeps his base and doesn't let Sean get any momentum. A fantastic spot where Sean finally keeps up, and Sean just uh, Sid just destroys him with a clothesline. Sid grabs a camera. JR calls him an idiot, but instead of hitting Sean, he hits Jose Lothario, which confuses JR. Sean then hits Sweet Chin Music to booze, but instead of covering, he goes outside to check on Jose, who's clutching his chest. JR says it's like looking at your father down on the ground. Sean gets back in the ring. We get a ref bump, so he goes back out to Jose. He begs for help, but no one's coming. Sid comes over and smashes Sean with the camera and then finishes him with the powerbomb to a huge pop. Shocking finish and moment and pure chaos at the end of a run that needed to end. So Sean goes out to help Jose with the medics. Sid is stomping around. And the work here was as simple as it gets, but the drama was so heavy. The atmosphere carried the load. Sid's presence through this was amazing. Carried himself like a star. Again, the Rocky Three vibes to me were fully there. He felt like Clubber Lang. You know, the only thing he needed to say was, right, you know, tell your wife to call me. Uh, as he just destroys this pretty boy champion who had completely lost, lost the uh, goal of his reign. Completely lost the narrative. Uh, a classic MSG moment. The ending was great to end the dream reign of Sean. It was time as his friend turned enemy wrecks him uh, again, right? <laughs> Same as yeah. 95. Uh, we'll see how Sid progresses and if the promotion tone changes with him as champion. I thought this was great. And of course, uh, there's always been a little, uh, you know, chatter about this finish because the video camera was used the night before in November to remember. There's been some thought that they ripped that off from them. After watching November, remember, I didn't feel it was as glaring as they make it seem, but uh, I could see the, the potential contention. Uh, all in, Sid is our champion, and I went four stars. And I think this holds up really, really well. Yeah, I went four stars, too. It's a, it's a very interesting match. I I wonder, and I meant to take better note of this as I watched it, but, uh, you know, I talked about how many kids there were at ringside. I wonder if some of them actually left because it was so late in the night. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like, it, it just seemed interesting that Austin certainly had his fans. But Brett, you know, overall was right. more of a, the face and here it was the other way around. Like it, at the end of the match, I'd say it's like 85, 15 or 90. Mm-hmm. Not even said like Sid gets a huge pop yep. uh, towards the end of this match. 
this this uh, this title match has kind of one of the cool things that I like in wrestling when you get these type of title matches where it feels important. It feels like a significant title change. And it's one that when they're coming out, you don't necessarily anticipate. Uh, I think the best example of this is Austin Aries beating Samoa Joe in 2004 for the Ring of Honor title. Uh, and the way the matches work, it, along with this match, it, it's cool when that you see the challenger kind of gaining momentum, gaining momentum to where once we get to the apex of this match in particular with the camera stuff, it's like, oh, so it's about to win. You know, it's like, oh, this is this may actually happen. Uh-huh. You know, this this looks like it's headed that way. And then it does like when he gets the power bomb and wins the title. But I, I think Sid, you know, like in Meltzer's review, he talks about like how great Sean did carrying Sid and giving a lot of credit for professionalism and stuff like that. And Sean, I thought was very good in this match, but I think yeah. Sid's outstanding. Like, oh, I, mean, I agree. You know, it's his I, best I'm match ever. A, it's not even close. Yeah. Well. I was thinking about this. I I don't know if you've watched it recently. I'm very high on his sold out match with Benoit, but yeah, I don't think his performance in this match is as good as I don't think his performance in that match is as good as this one. I mean, he dips up in the first like minute of this match. He's on. Um, this is like a journeyman throwing a perfect game. You know, it's yeah, just like yeah. you know he's got it in him, and he just like he was just locked in that night out of nowhere and just has a massive game is a good pitcher but not one you ever thought was like elite and all of a sudden it's like breaks out this one night where that's what i was gonna say it, it's it's a very I, I think your your analogy of a journeyman pitching the perfect game is perfect like he's never gonna be as amazing as he is on this night he showed mm-hmm. glimpses like in the lead up to wrestlemania 8 versus hogan he shows a lot of personality but then the match itself, he doesn't necessarily put it together. Yep. Um, th- this is, you know, not, the build wasn't actually that amazing. But just his performance within this match is awesome. Like, I mean, he's physical. He's quick. He looks athletic. He's not clumsy at all. Sean's bumping for him well. Like, overall, this is this is another great match that's worked differently enough from Austin and heart that I think it really complements it well. Like Sean starts working on the leg and you get some of that, but it's it's mainly work more like when the power versus speed dynamic throughout this match. And I I thought it was a, a very, very strong effort from both. It feels like the right time to change the title. It's interesting to watch. I mean, it really is interesting to watch. It's, you know, you can chalk it up to it being a weird crowd, but it does feel in some ways an indictment of Sean overall. <laughs> like he's that booed when he loses the title. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting when you think of like a macro level and think about like Sean versus Brett, that endless debate. Um, I, I just don't think Brad has a performance like that where he's that booed. And that's right. another way. Like I said, Sean was good in this match. It's just, it's interesting at the end of the day, the crowd wanted to cheer for Brad, even though they liked Austin and they were not having it in this one. And we're way behind Sid. Like his pop. I, I love when he wins, 
and he goes down to one knee and you see Vladimir saying like, you're the man Sid, like with his fist out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always, it's always a cool moment. So yeah, great match to cap it off. Do you think they gave away the finish by making Brett Austin the number one contender match? Because um, it's probably yeah. unlikely we're getting Brett Sean at the December in your house at West Palm Beach. So it's like, I feel like they should have said, you know, a lot of times the next time a Raw Vince will just say, and next month, you know, Brett Hart will, like, I, I think Brett and Austin had this, enough stakes to it as it, uh, on its own that it didn't need the world title shot tied to it. Um, yeah. And I think a little bit it gives away. I think he gives away a little bit. I just don't think Brett Sean is realistic in, in, in December. If they would have said for the Rumble or something, maybe. But, like, here, you're not getting Brett Sean rematched in your house. This is not happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that seems like the case. Like, Vince on commentary was a little weird where a couple of times on this night, like, he always leads with, like, oh, it could be Brett versus right. Sean. And then, you know, one point. Ross reminds him, well, what about Sid? And then the next time he mentions it afterwards. But yeah, in retrospect, you probably weren't getting that at, uh, in your house, whatever. It's time or whatever they wanted to call it. Um, so that that's true. Um, it's not needed. I mean, it's certainly not needed on Austin versus Hart. Agreed. All right. Uh, so. That does it for our show. So it celebrates. Yeah, I mean it's a, it, it's a pretty quick sign off. I mean mm-hmm. this is a pretty long show. It's like two hours and fifty two minutes on the network. Yeah, I don't know if the pay per view version has some other advertisements or anything else spliced in, but yeah, they clearly long ran pay-per-view. long. Yeah, they clearly yeah. ran long because the, the way they hustle through. I don't know what it is that slowed them up. I could tell you they could have easily taken eight minutes off that mm-hmm. Triple H match yeah. and been okay, yep. um, you know, and, and been fine. I don't, so I don't know if something dragged on longer than they expected, but um, they definitely run long because the way they send home in that match is, is, makes it clear. And the way, like you said, they sign off quickly off of this. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see where Sean goes, what happens with him, the fallout with him and Lothario. Uh, we'll see how Sid is his champion. Obviously, we know it's him versus Brett in your house. We'll see where Austin, how he rebounds. So a lot of, a lot of questions coming off of this show. Um, and I think it ends up delivering. I mean, when you got two big, your two biggest advertised matches clock in at, you know, I'm closer to four and three quarters before half. So let's, let's call it four and three quarters and four. And, and they're both your co-main events and heavily promoted like that. That delivers, you know? Right. All right. Uh, let's do our awards. Uh, match of the nights. <laughs> Obviously we're both on the same page. Yeah. Uh, moment of the night, I went with Sid winning the title. Yeah, I'd agree. MVP is tough. I mean, you got three legit contenders plus Sean lingering. Uh, mm-hmm. I ended up going Sid. I mean, I think even though Austin was a star in that match, even though Brett delivers in his comeback, you leave this knowing that Sid was a complete badass that just destroyed Shawn Michaels and stood tall and just, you know, you said it. Sean was great, but I, I'd argue Sid carried this match more than Sean did, uh, if anyone carried it. Mm-hmm. So to me, he was the biggest benefit benefit of the night. Okay, I, I went Austin. I, I mean, there's some retrospect, obviously, in that, but mm-hmm. I, I just think like, you know, what he becomes. There's not many people that kind of seize that moment. I mean, we talked about it with Owen. Like Owen has a moment like that versus Brett right. at WrestleMania 10. And he, you know, he doesn't necessarily, like, flop after that. But 
you can argue that, you know, I think I think it's fair to say, like, the biggest night of his career is when he pins Brett right mm-hmm. there in that opener. Like, that's that's the zenith of his career. Yes. And it could have been easy to say, like, this could have been, you know, like, I mean, you might not have expected this match. This great a match from Austin. But it also could have been easy to say, like, oh, wow, this is, this is the zenith of his career. He had a, right. an amazing match with Bret Hart, and then he just kind of plotted along. Is it up a mid-carter from there or whatever? Yeah, obviously it's not the case. But so. it's, it's, a lot of that has to do with the presentation of him, too. Like, I mean, if Owen gets Austin's push, I mean, he's probably not as big of a player, but... You know, they don't they don't treat Owen like the next top guy. Like Austin easily could have been into a feud, had a little mini feud with with Brett, and then by next year just be like back to fighting Marrow and stuff and in a tag team. I mean, they could have went that route. Yeah, I mean, I, I th- it's, it's definitely a moment in time mm-hmm. and personality, but like Owen's ingrained in in the main feud for the next yeah. whatever six months, and he just never feels as big. I I, I feel like. Right. Austin really grasp it. Like yeah. he, he he's kind of a force in nature. So right. that makes it's a good pick too. I mean, this is his career match by far as far yeah. as his performance. So also read my number two and then Brett and then Sean if I had a rank. Yeah, I mean Brett at number three, that's pretty strong. Uh, I think we covered a lot of the commentary lines uh, throughout the show, but I thought it was a pretty good night for commentary. Um, you know, I think I didn't mind the rotating third. Like you got King out of there before the heavy stuff. You know, Sonny was fine in the Rocky match, whatever. I thought Cornette was pretty good in the in the messy match. And then just having Vincent Jr. straight through, like Jr. get the main job for Austin Brett because that's his wheelhouse. And Vince kind of took the lead on Sean Sid because it's more narrative based and he's better at that. So um, I thought they each kind of carried the load when they were solo and or just the two of them. Yeah, so, I, I actually, good night. I actually like them two together most for the most part on this show. So I, I think it worked better than King kind of muddling it up. Well, Jr. finally found his balance between like not just being a nerdy analyst, but not being like the angry, acerbic, bitter old man either. Like yeah. he's kind of in between now where he can still get his jabs and kind of be a prick, a surly bastard, but he it's not dominating his whole persona. He's like still now calling matches and being great at it. So right. Uh, all right, shots fired. I didn't catch anything. Uh yeah. I mean, there's a few like there's the Hogan thing. There's a oh, couple yeah, yeah, yeah. of uh, you know your general like nobody does pay per view like this. There was one shot um, again by Ross at the beginning of the Bret Hart Austin match where he says like these stars are in their prime. They're not past their prime out there working. Right. Kind of dig it. Pogan and Macho, but, yeah. Uh, debuts, we had Furnace, LaFon, and Flash Funk. Um, yeah, I guess for the show, seen... Jimmy Snuka, but... Yeah, yeah all right, I can put him on there, because we don't have him yet. Uh, we've seen Rocky, so that's obviously... I guess, PG... well, no, we've seen PG-13, too, right? So. Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Uh, dropped sure. Angles, I went with the heel JR, like it's pretty much gone. And perfect in Helmsley is pretty much gone. So yeah, there was no, there was a little bit of mentioning when Helmsley came out, but it was more like why he didn't have a woman instead of perfect. So right, right, you could tell that they're probably done by the, because the taping cycle's done now. So if he's not here, he ain't showing up. If he's yeah, not he's out. There's a little bit on. I mean, this is probably the last time we'll talk about it till he shows mm-hmm. up in WCW. So let me. 
quickly talk uh just there's some notes in the observer again that you know it was a done deal so right okay kind of sad i mean they put so much time over that taping cycle into him (laughs) yeah gone but uh, yeah it's a weird kind of dropout for him but it is uh all right final grade i mean it's a great pay-per-view i think it's it's a little behind our top top ones right which are like the Mm -hmm. wcw triumphant of um great american bash bash of the beach like you know we had those at like what nine nine and a half like we were really high on those uh king of the ring i think was my highest dirty pay-per-view before this i had that eight out of ten i have this the same i have this at eight out of ten uh i think the undercard is is worse than you may remember and i feel like this show is held up as an all-time classic but i think it's around the level of that where it's like a couple great matches really carry the load and the rest is pretty miss um you know i was a little bit higher in taker mankind than you but I, it didn't blow my world apart brett austin's a classic and uh sean to the classic i think it's it's similar to like wrestlemania 10 where it's like two great matches and then a bunch of nothing um the difference is wrestlemania 10 like the atmosphere and crowd is more consistent the whole time than this is uh and the second match is better but uh it's similar in the template where the rest of the show just really did not click for me yeah, I mean, I went eight out of ten too. I, I agree with much of your sentiment. It's it's kind of a weird show. Like it has, in my mind, this like amazing top fifteen in the company type match, and another great match, and some kind of neat debuts, and you know, guys passing ships in the night type qualities to it, but. I wouldn't necessarily say it's an easy watch, mm. kind of start to finish. Like I no, definitely not. There was some moments that drag for sure. Um, I thought that, most that of the opener portion. dragged, and the the hunter match dragged too. Yeah, was, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's kind of a match that the back half, like even though I didn't like that Survivor Series tag, is ten minutes. So right, the, the last like hour. And, 15 minutes of the show that has Brad Austin and then the main event is good. Um, sandwiched with the filler match, but yeah, the op- opening, I mean, the opener is fine for me. It's good, but it's not ordinary. So, so I, I do think it's a great show, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of did think this might be one that, you know, when we think about the podcast as a whole, I might like sit back and say like, is that one of the best pay-per-views we mm-hmm cover and I, I don't think it'll be that case like it's a great pay-per-view but even in 96 i have it behind three wcw shows so i have it behind a fall brawl bash at the beach and great american bash yeah i mean for me it's definitely tied with uh tied with king of the ring like i said SummerSlam, i had a five and a half so yeah. definitely better than that wrestlemania was seven out of ten for me so better than mania and then rumble we were definitely down on so um, yeah. yeah, WCW side, it may be their best show. I mean, WWF side, it may be their best show that we've done so far for me, um, probably. Yeah, I think King I'm... of the Ring had a little more balance, and you get the Austin 316 with it, obviously. Um, but this this has the better top two matches. So I, I'd probably go with this above it if you had to, too. And there's not... I mean, it'll be nice when we get to Canadian Stampede. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, when you think about it, like, there's just not a 
I mean, but that's kind of the thing with this show. Like, right. I, I would say really till we get to 2000, like, I don't know if we're going to hit many shows that are like, oh, this is an all-time great pay-per-view. Like, it's, right. we, we may have to adjust, like, with our ratings. Like, that'll be the true test when we get to 98, 99. Whether we look at the pay-per-views kind of from a quality standpoint, mm-hmm. really dominated, or from... Uh, more of a war standpoint, like you right, the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Survivor Series '95, I had it at seven and a half. So, like that. Yeah. I mean, if you look, if you think of those two pay per views historically, I think most would have this outranking that significantly. But for me, well, it wasn't that much better. No, I mean, well, uh, the main event of the, I think the main event of the Survivor Series, well, in Mind Games, Mind Games, uh, Survivor Series main event. And, Austin, Brett are, to me, the three best mm-hmm. WWF matches we've seen. Um, and three of the top five overall matches we've seen. You can add probably Psychosis and uh, Ray, and then the uh, Good Friends, Better Enemies main right. event. And that, that right now rounds out my top five. So WWF actually dominated. Four out of the five, right? It's crazy. Like over the course of the show. Um, but, you know, I mean, look who's involved. Brett. Right. Michaels, not too big of a surprise. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's interesting for sure. I, I think WCW's been more consistent, uh, entertaining wise, and putting on quality episodic programming. Uh, but WWE's big time matches have delivered more consistently. Uh, that's where we're at right now. So we'll see. I'm really interested in how Raw progresses now and how WWE progresses. We got about two months before they really mix, start mixing things up like overall with the promotion so i'm yeah. curious how these week, how these two months play out week to week tv so we'll see all right no combo awards tonight obviously we haven't done the wcw pay-per-view tonight uh yet i should say so we'll get to that in a month we have uh, a week of tv on our next episode two weeks from today we'll be getting into the fallout from this plus the go home for world war three which is a very big nitro yeah big nitro for sure and then we'll cover world war 396 uh a month from today which shows i mean again kind of shows uh, it'll be interesting to track on this nitro because we've talked about it like the the rolls after a pay-per-view usually have a little more juice mm-hmm. and the nitros counteract that I wouldn't say necessarily they kind of went hard after that. They kind of stayed in their own lane and just said, like, well, we're going to do our show, you know, whatever, and we're still going to win. This seems like more of a, you know, a concerted effort to have something big happen to counteract whatever was going to happen on the Agreed. All right, that'll do it. We will talk to you in a couple weeks. Smell the napalm and take care. Talk to you soon. From across the canyon. Guitar plays through an amplifier on a long delay. It was an old melody. I recognized the song. I had an amplifier too. So I played along. I'm making some noise. I'm still a working boy. At the top of a voice, saying, Look at me, mama. I'm making some noise. Make it to